This morning's reading is taken from Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a, a yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in, they are in parables, so seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now this parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that and the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you. We're thankful. We're reminded of and thankful, Lord, that you, um, you are the one who are, is in control of all things, and you are the one that can change and shape hearts, Father. Um, you know how hard our hearts can be from time to time, Lord, how resistant to to change, how resistant to things that our minds and hearts and lives can be, Father. Uh, but we want to be more in line with your word. We want to be shaped by you. We want to be shaped by your spirit. But we need you to do that for us, Father. So we pray that as we counter you and your word here this morning, Father, that you would change us, that you would shape us, and that you would mold us. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, I don't know how many of you have noticed this, uh, but I certainly, I, I certainly have. I don't know if it's a Baltimore thing or, or whether it's true uh, across the country. But one of the things that I've noticed is that urbanites or, or city dwellers or people that live in the city are tending to become more and more fascinated with uh, farming and agriculture. I don't know if you've seen that, but the most popular restaurants are what now? They're the farm-to-table restaurants that are out there. It seems like uh, once you had to go, there was only one uh, farmer's market per city. Now it seems like every single community you go to in the city has a, a farmer's market in it. Uh, I know a lot, I'm in a network of other kind of urban church planters, and all the other urban church planters are reading Wendell Berry novels. I don't know if you've ever heard of Wendell Berry, but he was a novelist and a poet that wrote about how kind of beautiful and wonderful agriculture and farming is. And I think when I look at my own life, I've realized that I've kind of fallen victim to, to this trend as well. Uh, if you ask my wife, she'll tell you that uh, this past winter, I started uh, seed starting uh, in my house. 
much to her dismay. I had little seed pods growing everywhere, wanting to grow my own food. We signed up as a family for uh, a community uh, farm share, and we get to go once a week and get uh, food from a local farm. And I figured out how to to build these kind of raised gardens uh, in my yard to try to grow our own food. But one of the things that I've learned about it over the past year is that despite all my best efforts, I'm just not good at it. I'm not good at farming. I'm not good at growing things. I've overplanted uh, one of my gardens. My uh, tomatoes choked out my peppers and my, my, uh, my cucumbers choked out my peas. My peppers uh, didn't me- manage to grow. My radishes didn't radish or whatever radishes do. My collards got eaten by worms. It was just a disaster from the beginning. And I just wasn't very good at it. And what I realized is how hard it is. And I kept thinking about all of that this week as I reflected on this parable, the parable of the sower that we come to. If you were with us last week, we talked about how Jesus used uh, these things called parables, these very simple stories. Uh, And he used them as teaching tools, teaching tools that would communicate not just to our brains, but would communicate to our entire imaginations in a way that it would touch our will and our mind and our emotions. And one of the things that you realize is many of the parables have this kind of agricultural feel to them. And the reason is, is because Jesus lived in a very agricultural-based society. We live in an industrial society, a technological society, but in Jesus' day, most of the people that he interacted with were farmers, people whose livelihood existed around the land and the resources that the land produced. And this story is really no different. Three of the gospel writers include uh, this story. And Mark in particular talks about how many people were around Jesus when he told this story. He, Mark tells us that he uh, was, was so mobbed, was so crowded by others, that Jesus actually put out in a boat just a little bit from the shore and all the people gathered along the shore just to hear Jesus teach. And many of the commentators think that even as Jesus was, was teaching this parable, there were probably farmers all over in the distance, covering the hills and the fields all around Jesus. So that when he was telling this story, when he was telling this parable, they could look out and actually see farmers who were sowing their seeds all around Jesus. And what Jesus did is he used this everyday image to teach something simple yet very profound about the nature of this kingdom, using their own imaginations, using their own life experience to teach something very profound about the kingdom. And what's great about this parable is this is one of the few parables that Jesus actually explains the meaning. Many times Jesus would share parables and then would just go on to another parable, not sharing what it meant. But in this one, Jesus actually breaks it down later for his disciples and shares with them what these images mean. And this passage includes two very simple yet profound images. The first image is one of the seed and the second image is one of the soil. The first image, the image of the seed is meant to show in a very illustrative way 
the message of the gospel or the word of God. Jesus tells us this in verse 11. He says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. One of the things that we believe is that Jesus was God's son and that he took on skin. He became fully God and fully man and he walked among us. He came down to this earth and and had his presence alongside of us. And many people have wondered, why did Jesus do this? Well, there's lots of reasons as to why he did this. Many people believe it was because he was to be an example. He came and lived among us to show us what life is supposed to look like. He came to be a a moral example for us to, to observe and to learn his morality, to try to pattern our life, our lives around his life, to offer us a code that we can help raise our kids on how to live an ethically uh, sound and, and religiously moral life. But Jesus came to do much more than just provide a moral example. He came to bring a message. In fact, he says, even in this passage, he came to bring the message of life. If you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus is uh, uh, probably the height of his ministry was uh, right after he fed uh, 5,000 people miraculously. If you've heard the story before, large crowds had gathered around Jesus and they they became hungry after a while. So Jesus took five loaves and two fish and he multiplied that food and gave it out to the crowd. In fact, many commentators believe it wasn't just 5,000. It was probably close to 10,000 people that Jesus uh, created this food for miraculously. So this obviously was, was the height of his popularity. It was the height of his ministry. And in an agrarian society, you can see why this would be so important. People would say, if we hang out with Jesus, then we get all the food we want. These are farmers. These are people that live off the land that are subject to seasons and diseases that can destroy entire crops. And they're beginning to look at Jesus and see he is an unlimited source of food. He becomes so popular that the crowds want to make him their king. They want to surround him and and be with him at all times and make him their leader so that they can get free food and, and hear all the teaching that Jesus had to teach them. But then John tells us in John chapter 6 that as soon as Jesus had reached the apex of his popularity, he began to teach about the true nature of the kingdom. The crowd began to, to hear the things that, that Jesus was saying And they said, what Jesus is saying are hard things. These are hard teachings. And what John tells us is that one by one, all those people left Jesus. One by one, that crowd of 10,000 began to shrink more and more and more and more. All of a sudden, that crowd had been reduced down to Jesus's 12 most faithful followers. 10,000 people all the way down to to Jesus' 12 most faithful followers. And then he looks up at those 12 and he says to them, do you want to go as well? And one of his disciples, Peter, looks at him and says, to whom else can we go, Jesus? Only you have the words of life. Only you have the words of life. 
You see, Peter recognized one of Jesus' main purposes in coming to this earth, and that was to share the words of life. That's what the seed symbolizes. It symbolizes the message of life that Jesus came to share with humanity. See, many of you may feel like there's something missing in your individual life. You might feel like if I could just get that next promotion or if I was just a little bit more popular or if I just had the perfect family, then I would experience life. I would experience fulfillment and satisfaction that I so desire. What Jesus came to tell us is this. He came to tell us that above all those other things, he is the one with the words of life. And that's what the seed means. But there's also another image that Jesus wants us to connect with, and that is the image of the soil. And the image of the soil helps us to examine the condition of our hearts when it receives this message of life that Jesus came to bring. I don't know how many of you uh, this week watched... um, the Republican, uh, the Republican presidential debate that happened this week on CNN. I think it was the, the most watched presidential primary debate in all of history. And it really was a spectacle to behold if you did watch it. Uh, as I listened to the radio and commentators afterwards, they, they had lots of criticism, not so much for the candidates, but they had a lot of criticism for the people that were actually moderating the debate because they were frustrated that the moderators didn't seem to focus on the actual issues of the, uh, of the election. They tended to focus on all the comments that the candidates had said about one another uh, in their candidating. And they would say things like, did you hear that so-and-so said this about you? How do you respond to so-and-so's comment about you? And their response was often this. They said, well, I did say that, but this other candidate really heard me wrong when I said that. And this is what I really meant. What I thought about that when I was watching the, uh, the debate was that, that there is some truth to that. There is some truth to the sense that we often say things, but how people hear those things that we say can often be very, very different. What Jesus is saying here is that the seed is the message of life that he came to share. But the different soils are the different ways that people hear and respond to the message of life that Jesus came to share. It isn't just about hearing with our ears, though. The Bible talks and uses this word heart all the time. And, and it, it uses the word heart to define the, the very seat of our identity, the very uh, essence of who we are. Our heart involves our mind, our emotions, our, our will, the, the choices that we make. It's the very essence of who we are. So how different people hear the message of life with their hearts is different depending on the person. And what Jesus does is he spells out four different ways our hearts, the very essence of who we are, hears this message of life. 
The first is mentioned in verse 5. He says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And what Jesus is saying is that some hear this message of life, but it's like seeds that fall on the road. It makes no effect whatsoever in their hearts, in their lives. It doesn't change anything at all. Their hearts remain unaffected by the message of life. It says there's another person, verse 6, and some fell on the rock and it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And what Jesus is saying here is that some people hear this message of life and they have an initial reaction to it. It might kind of stir the waters in their hearts a little bit and they might react positively to it. But in the end, ultimately, their heart remains unchanged or unaffected. Jesus says there's a third category of people. He says this in verse 7. Some of the seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew with it and it choked it out. And what Jesus is saying is that some people hear this message of life and their hearts are stirred by this message of life. They may even make some changes about their lives. But in the end, verse 13, it says this. These are the ones on the rock who hear the word, maybe even receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. I have to tell you that having been in this thing called ministry for a long time, I've seen these responses in people's hearts. I can see faces of people that have responded to the message of the gospel in all sorts of different ways. Many of you know that I worked with teenagers for a long time. And we'd run into some teenagers that would would make some sort of commitment or profession about Christ. But often it was more for the reason of being accepted into some sort of peer group or to catch the eye of a girl they may have liked and wanted to endear her uh, to him. Or maybe they made a commitment so that they can kind of experience the, the fun and the benefits of being a part of a community of faith. But when real life sets in, when not only the the good things that happen in life, but also some of the negative things that happen in life, uh, what Jesus says comes true. They are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of their life. And it's as if overnight their faith disappears. This is why I think it's important when we declare or speak about the gospel that we make sure we tell about the whole picture of the gospel rather than just a portion of it because there are great and wonderful blessings that we receive in the gospel of Jesus Christ we receive salvation we receive forgiveness of sins justification we receive eternal life there's so many beautiful things that come from being a part of a community of faith but that is just one part of the gospel Because the gospel also says really hard things. It tells us that we have to no longer live for ourselves. It tells us that we have to actively give ourselves away to other people. It tells us that a life lived in relationship with Christ will experience trials and persecution. It will require daily self-sacrifice. 
Christ never, ever, ever, if you scour the scriptures, Christ never promised us an easy life. In fact, he promised us the reverse. He promised that a life following him would involve trials and persecution and difficulty. We have to, when we speak about this gospel, speak about the full gospel, not just the heartwarming, beautiful parts of it as well. One of the really important things I think we always need to ask ourselves when we come to terms with the gospel and about our own story of faith is, is do we primarily love God only for the good things that we get out of him? Do we primarily only love God for what he does for us? Or do we love him for the sake of who he is and his character? You see, that was the problem of Jesus's followers that ended up splitting after he spoke hard sayings. They surrounded Jesus. They wanted Jesus for all that he could do for them. And once Jesus began to speak about a life of sacrifice and service, all of them ran for the door. And that's why Jesus talked about that fourth and final category. He says this in verse 8, Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. These are the ones whose hearts were truly changed by the message of life. By the message of the gospel. He says in verse 15. As for the good soil. They are those who hearing the word. Hold it fast. In an honest and good heart. And bear fruit with with patience. See what Jesus is saying is. The evidence of good soil. The evidence of true faith. And the evidence of a life. Changed by the gospel of Christ. Is fruit. It is fruit that's yielded from a plant. One of the things that I mentioned before is that we planted radishes and that those radishes never radished. I don't know what the right term for that is. But what was interesting about that is we planted seeds and they grew up and the plant looked incredible. The leaves were big. They were, they were robust. We thought, man, if once we pull these things up, we're going to have the most beautiful radishes there are. But then when we pulled them up, There was no radish attached to those beautiful leaves. And that's what Jesus is saying here. We can have all these outward expressions of life. But unless our heart is good soil that bears fruit, then there is no evidence of true faith that is here. So I think the the response for us is the same that Jesus was driving at in that first audience who he told this story to. The response he's looking from us is the same response he was looking for in the people he told this parable to. And that is the question of how do you hear this message? When the message of life falls on your heart, what kind of soil does it encounter? What kind of soil does it fall upon? Are you simply following Jesus for the fringe benefits that come from a relationship with him? Or are you following him in faith, no matter what that path of faith takes you on? Is there fruit in your life 
that is the ultimate evidence of true faith. I think there's one additional image that Jesus wants us to see in this passage, one that he doesn't even fully explain to his disciples that were there that day. And that image is connected to the image of the seed. Because I think the seed not just represents the the message of life, but I think Jesus is also alluding to the work of redemption that he was about to engage in. If you've ever planted anything before, you know that you put the seed in the ground. And what does the seed have to do? The seed has to die in order to bring about life. See, I believe that Jesus here in this passage is saying something else about why he came to this earth. He's saying, yes, that seed means the message of life. But what he's also saying is that he came to make eternal life possible through his work, through being the seed that would need to die. So the gospel story tells us that Jesus was later betrayed and he was arrested, that he was killed by the authorities of his day. He was the seed that was crushed. The gospel story tells us that that he was placed into the ground. He was buried in a borrowed tomb that he didn't even own himself. But on the third day, life sprung from the ground. The gospel tells us he took our place. His life was a substitute for ours. His death should have been ours. It was what you and I deserved because of our sin and rebellion. But instead, he stepped in. And allowed himself to be the seed that would be crushed. So that you and I could have life. Because of this, he can speak into the deadness and the rockiness of our own souls and our own lives. And bring forth true life. Eternal life. Friends, this is, this is what life is all about. This is what the gospel teaches Life is all about. It calls us to recognize that he purchased life for us by his death. It calls us to receive that message of life that Jesus offers, not just in the words that he said, but in the life and the work that he did. And it calls us to bear fruit in accordance with faith that has transformed your soul. Let's pray.